For all of our listeners, I wish you could see what I see. Sitting here in Long Beach, I see different colors and shapes and hues from our incredible country. And I'm so excited that I have four of the most dynamic Freedom Rider teachers joining me from different corners of our country celebrating pride. And we have four of the most dynamic activists, authors, educators who try to make the world a better place. So I'm going to ask our incredible guest to tell us their name and tell us where they are considered an activist and an educator. We'll start with you, Tara. My name is Tara Bordeaux, and I'm here in Austin, Texas. For the last 10 years, I've been a K-12 educator in high school, teaching cinematic arts. And I think that advocating for me has just been helping kids find their voice, whatever that voice is helping them find a way to use it. Advocate you do, indeed. You are also the Texas Teacher of the Year, which we will dive a little deeper into, but you are clearly an advocate and an ally. We will jump down to Dean. Dean, tell us where you are and tell the fine folks what your mark in education is. Hi, my name is Dean Abraham. I am in Utica, New York. I teach in a small district called Westmoreland. And in that district, I am the band teacher. So I feel that my mark in education for all of this is to help students learn plenty of ways that they can express themselves and feel their feelings and share those things with the world in ways that they can feel really proud of. Dean, I love that we were just in Westmoreland and you put on an incredible workshop for not only your students at the elementary school, but also parents and teachers and family members. So you bring music and authenticity to every corner of your community. Jasmine, on my screen, you are in the midst of the World Series for college baseball and softball right now. So tell us where you hail from and tell us the joy that you bring kids each and every day. Hello, I am Jasmine Nelson. I am currently in Omaha, Nebraska, and I teach high school theater within Omaha Public Schools. And my mark on education is currently providing a safe space for my students to be able to express themselves and experiment with their identities and kind of figure out who they are in a way that is non-judgmental in a way that they feel safe and comfortable in. Mm. I wish our audience could see what I see, which is your fuchsia, bright fuchsia hair right now. It's fantastic. The other hair that I'm loving in this podcast is Aaron. Aaron has got these curls, like Patrick Dempsey, Dr. McDreamy kinds of curls. And it bodes well with your zip code because this is a season where we get lots of humidity. So I'm sure they're fabulous for your hair, Aaron. Tell our audience where you are and the fabulous career that you have become an activist and an ally. Yeah, my name is Aaron Boslin. I am from Miami, Florida. I came here in 2012 as a high school teacher and taught a class, was with them four years. So from the original freshman, we graduated together, so to speak. And in the time since, transitioned into working in advocacy and politics and am currently deputy executive director of Men for Choice, where we educate, activate, and mobilize pro-choice men. The core of our model is a 10-week training program for 18 to 28-year-old guys where they learn about organizing and how to tell their story in terms of what leads them to believe that everyone should have the freedom to control their own body. And so it puts me back in that world of education with an eye towards activacy and all those things. I met Aaron when you were the leader of your GSA at your high school. So I love that you went from being an activist at a school to now a country and have this incredible platform where you're sending me pictures sitting beside the first gentleman of our country. So I love that you continue that and grown exponentially. I want to start with all of you asking you a really simple question. And in the Freedom Rider world, it's about love and it's about family, families that we make and families that we choose and loving unconditionally. So I want each of you to tell me when you think about love, what kinds of words or sentiments do you think about when you think about love? I'm going to start with you, Jasmine. 
When I think about love, I immediately think of my drama department because they have all kind of grouped themselves into quite literally a little family. It's a group about 45 kids and they have started like calling each other the seniors like mom and dad and all of them are the little siblings and they all just have this unified devotion to each other. And it's truly the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. They're so dedicated to each other. They lift each other up and then they support each other through literally everything. And it's really beautiful to watch as their teacher and supervisor. I love that. Dean, when you think of the word love, what does love mean to you? I am one of those hopeless romantics. So I love the word love and I love all of the feelings that come along with it. Love makes me think of comfort. It makes me think of safety. It makes me think of laughing and smiling. And I think the people that I learned that from the best would be my family. Tara, I've seen love in action with you. So when I think of love, I think about you plotting and planning to propose. And I think about everything that you represent in your very essence. So that's what I think about when I think of you and love. What do you think about when you think of love? I'm like Dean. There's that part of me that's that helpless romantic. And I think being a filmmaker, there's that part of you that you grow up watching movies and you think that's how love is supposed to be. But when I think really hard about love, there, of course, is family. And I think of my family and all my friends and love. But the two things that I really think come to mind the most are, for me, it's the unconditional love that my students and I had for each other. No matter what happened at any point in my career, my students and I had an unconditional love for each other. And I love that. And then I can't speak enough about the love of my life, of course, Jesse. So to have somebody who has really built me up to be a better person and a stronger person, to me, love is every time I hear her name. And that is probably cliche to say it that way. But as you know, Erin, that is the person who has made me a better person every day. And that's love. She's loved me. Erin, mm. I know that you love as well. So when you think of that big old word, what comes to mind? Yeah, I think my, my grandma, Carla, and more specifically, the idea of drawing strength from others and trying to give strength to others. She's a college professor, was a high school teacher for 20 years before that. And in the 90s, I think 97, I was around 10 years old, she was leading a group of students in Sumatra in Indonesia and fell off a cliff, landed on a rock and broke her back in the middle of a river. And her neck was lodged back underneath the water and she almost drowned because her vertebrae was smashed and she couldn't pull herself up. And she's told me that in that moment, because like medically, like she shouldn't have been able to move her neck in that way. She had this weird, almost like a vision where she thought to herself, Steve, my uncle, her at the time youngest kid and Earl, my grandpa, they need me. And it was like almost like a figure saying that to her. And she found the strength to pull herself up. And she said in that moment when she thought she was going to drown, it was that motivation of I have more things to do for other people, for them specifically. And then she demonstrated that to me throughout my life. She lived in California. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. She managed to fully be a part of my life. And the level of effort I saw her put into her students and to me became that template of make others stronger and also draw strength from others. She modeled that and continues to every day of her life. I love in your ideas of love, it's things that were modeled for you, things that you've seen, those familial bonds or the bonds that you are creating in the jobs you do. So when you think about the word representation or you think about the word identity, what does that mean to you? And have those same ideas been modeled? Are they part of your family? Or are they things that you had to seek out? So let's ask any of you, when you think of the word either representation or even identity, what's important for people to know? I'll go ahead and break the ice on this one. I am very close with a small portion of people on my father's side of the family. I'm estranged from my biological mother's side of the family, but I have found that my stepmother is the mother that I always should have had from the very beginning. She filled all of those gaps. And to this day, she is the person that I think has taught me the skills I've needed to learn to love myself and not to go back to the first question we talked about, but my fiance, Alex, we've been together over 11 years. He has helped me use those tools to actually love myself. But with representation and identity, I think that the first thing that I want to start off with is I don't know that every family 
has the capacity to demonstrate that for everybody struggling with those types of things, identity and representation isn't something you're always going to find in the world around you. And I think that's the first struggle that comes up for a lot of people in this community. Yeah. And especially in Pride Month, it makes me think back to when I was in seventh grade and the first time I ever remember feeling attracted to another boy. And at that moment in my life, I had never met a gay adult. The only thing I knew about gay people was that my great uncle had a best friend named Eugene, who when he found out he was gay, disavowed him as a friend. Eugene's family disavowed him and then he died of AIDS. And so the only thing I knew about gay men were you die before 30, you lose your family, you lose your friends. I was like, that's not a great deal. And in that moment in seventh grade, I was sitting in Miss Tenney's English class. I still remember it over 20 years ago. I was three rows back. He was four seats to the left. And the main thing I remember in that moment was just absolute sickening disgust. There was a disease in my body and that something was so wrong with me. And I decided I was never going to let this thing ruin me as I thought about it at the time. And I didn't say a word about that moment for another nine years. I held on to it and eventually with support from others and various things, was able to come to terms with myself and, and come out and all that goes along with that. But I think back sometimes, if I knew a single gay adult, a single one, would that have been enough for me to be like, oh wait, you don't die before 30. And I think that's all it would have taken. Aaron, I got to piggyback off of that. I remember being in the sixth grade when I, for the first time, I thought, wow, this girl is She's somebody special. And you don't really know how to understand what that means. And the same thing, I grew up in a Roman Catholic household. And so I was trying to give a confession and say, whatever's wrong with me, fix it. I'm broken. God, fix me. And I remember just being in a small town and feeling like I had nobody to even look to or go to. And fast forward a few years later down in the road in high school, and teachers knew that I was gay before I did because I was still just struggling just to, to hide it and to mask it. And the only representation that I saw in gay teachers were teachers who they were hiding it. And you knew because you could see how they were like you, but they hid it because they had to, right? It was the fear of losing their jobs. It was the fear of, of what could happen to them professionally and just emotionally and personally, if anybody really knew. But you could always tell that they protected you in their own way. But then you had the teachers who bullied you. There were teachers who literally bullied me. And that's why I dropped out of high school. And so I think for me, representation was always like, hide, hide who you are. Like, I don't want to be all Disney frozen here, but it's hide who you are because if the world sees who you are, then they're going to destroy you. And that was the nineties. And it's crazy to me that here we are in 2023. And as a teacher, I found that I hid myself again last year and a few years before that. And it's like, when can I just stay out of the closet emotionally, physically, outwardly, I'm out, but emotionally, we go back in closets all the time, like a revolving door. And I think that for me, identity and representation is struggling between being a Christian and being a lesbian woman. Which one gets to win today? So that's a really tough one for me because identity and representation to me is still a revolving door. You know what I love about seeing you speak is the nods. Dean just put his hand to his heart. So as each of you are answering, it's this kinship and a celebration and we're all a little teary-eyed when you're speaking. Jasmine, you've been nodding. There's a glimmer in your eye. So is there anything that they've mentioned that resonates with you when you think of representation and identity? Definitely with representation being from a small town as well, I did not have any gay adults in my life at all. It was me and my cousin who were the only outward people in our entire town, it felt. And so we were consistently almost shoved back into the closet just because it was not widely accepted in any shape or form. A common phrase we often heard was, love the sinner, hate the sin. And so hearing that often, we thought, okay, we are not truly accepted for who we are. We can sit here and they won't maybe physically attack us and they won't make us feel physically inferior. But emotionally, we know deep down that they do not accept it. And so when I got into education, that was a really big thing for me was I wanted to be that representation, be that voice that I never got to have. Because then it took me years to officially figure out my identity and explore that. 
And so when I have students who come up to me and they're like, hey, I think I might be trans, I might be gay, then I just accept it with, okay, do you need anything from me? What can I do for you? And it gives them that sense of security and it gives them that sense of hope almost that a lot of us didn't get to have. There was one instance where it was one of my first years and there was a student who brought their sibling and they're like running up to me and my student just goes, this is Miss Nelson. She's gay and she lets me be gay. And that is a core memory in my career. I will never forget that because it really touched me. It was something that I had never experienced and I'm glad that they got to experience. When I started with the word love, just like the penultimate, the idea that we all are seeking for and searching for, and some of you are blessed to have found your forever, to have found someone that you will marry and spend the rest of your life with. We started on such a joyous beginning. And then as each of you were talking about identity and representation, sadly, there was some words that really stick and sting. And in, in a culture that teaches sticks and stones will break our bones, but words will never hurt us. The words that you used are really hurtful. And I just want to say some of the words that it came across estranged, disavowed, hide, bullied, sin. And when I think of the four of you and your brethren, the words I think of is what Jasmine said, hope and love and acceptance. So when you think of those words that are also sadly a part of society, why do you think especially in 2023, that we are still in a place where people can't be their true self. I think right now in the world, the word fear is at the forefront of everything that's going on. Even when people are celebrating, there's always that little voice in the back of your mind that says you should be on alert. You should keep your eye out. It creates a worry when people are trying to figure out their identity. People are looking for representation, trying to come to terms with themselves. It's hard to escape the fear. And that's where I think it all cascades from. Or at least that's what I'm piggybacking a little off of what Aaron said earlier. I don't know who it was in my family or what it was I saw in the media. I can't pinpoint a specific thing or person, but I do distinctly remember looking myself in the mirror as a 12 or 13-year-old boy and begging myself to stop feeling the way that I felt, to not be gay, to not find other boys attractive. And like I said, I don't know why I feared that, but I knew that I was supposed to. I knew that I was supposed to not want that and I was supposed to want to be something else. So fear is the thing I think that drives it the most. People lash out against what they're afraid of. And even though we've come so far, every time we take steps forward, we take steps back and we take steps forward, we take steps back. And all we can do is hope that the generations that come after us won't have to keep that fear on their shoulders and on their back everywhere they go. That revolving door of going back into the closet, Tara, that spoke to me so much. I learned to be out and proud at the age of 15, and I never went back into the closet since. But what you said made me realize that there are lots of little mini moments in my life that I do, where maybe it's lying by omission. Maybe you don't bring it up. Maybe you keep it to yourself. Maybe you say they don't need to know that. But I had one of those Jasmine moments where maybe I never told my students I was gay. Maybe I never told them that they couldn't be. Maybe I never created an environment where I shunned it, but I never brought it up. And I remember being in an information meeting for our Winter Guard program. I direct the Winter Guard at our high school. And that is a major safe space for people of all identities to be a part of. And we see it and we love it and we celebrate it. And I was in an informational meeting with students and with parents. And my fiance, Alex, is on our staff. He works with our students and he's always there and everybody knows that he's there. And I think everybody knew that he was there because he was my fiance, but I never called him that. I never gave him that label in that audience. And the first time that I did, 
I just did it because it came out very naturally and my guard was down and I wasn't trying to be that closeted person for that moment. And the joy that it brought to my students' faces just to hear me speak that word, that broke down that final wall for me that I will never, ever leave that out again. I will never, ever let a student believe that I am something that I'm not, not because I need to force it on them, not because I need to bring it up to them, but I need them to know that I know who I am and that it's okay. And if they know who they are or they're on the way to knowing who they are, they don't have to be afraid. It is 2023 and maybe not everybody in the world accepts it. Maybe not everybody in the world can let their fears go and just love but enough people will. You are valid. You are. I want to ask some specific questions of each of you. Erin, you have moved to Miami. To you're now in the state of Florida. And the world is watching as politicians and pundits make decisions of what can and cannot be read in schools, what can and cannot be discussed in schools. And there was some legislation that has been termed don't say gay. So what is it like to live in a free country where free people can't read freely? It's devastating. I was a founding sponsor of a gay straight alliance in the school that I taught in. And it was interesting. I really didn't want to sponsor a gay straight alliance. I was asked by two students who were both out, which was not a thing that happened in the school. And I learned when they asked me, and I wasn't out at that point. I later learned they just said, you seemed like an accepting person. We weren't sure if you were gay or not, but we, you seemed accepting. And they had asked in eighth grade and they were told they couldn't, which is technically illegal, but they were told no, and you're in eighth grade. And again, in ninth grade and then 10th grade, I was the third teacher the third year in a row that they were asking. And when we had our first meeting, I was really big on it being student-led. The two of them and then a third girl got involved and we thought it was going to be a support group for five to 10 students. And at our first meeting, we had 56 students and nine teachers show up. And it was this outpouring of emotion and many kids saying, I thought I was the only one. And that was not just kids, although two actually came out in that meeting. There was that. But there was also a brother, a sister, a friend. We had boyfriend, girlfriend couples who came. We were like, we're against the bullying. We're against the way people get treated. And this seems like a space where people are accepting. And what's crazy about that is at the time, this was 10 years ago, the policies and the laws were generally in Miami-Dade on our side. And so the school kind of defaulted to, we don't want to be on the wrong way of a non-discrimination policy or so on. I had an op-ed in the Miami Herald in 2014, and I actually, I Google searched the other day to see if it was still up, and it is. And what it was called, I came out as a gay man to my class. And I was thinking, and like Tara, I'm sure can speak to this at an unbelievable level, was like, if that article were to come out today, I would be getting death threats. I would be probably getting fired. And the fact that we have fallen to our worst impulses and fear of other people and the idea that like that gay straight alliance, which was a space that kids came to to be who they were and support each other. Half of them weren't gay. <laughs> they came because they were against bullying. And this was a space that they wanted to be part of, that we've decided that's wrong, that's dirty, that's illegal that people like me would be called a pedophile for doing that now, it shows that there's this incredible level of anger and misunderstanding. And the fact that we have decided to turn that into law, the most tragic part of it for me is I think about myself in seventh grade. And at the time, soon after the president of the United States ran for reelection on a, a platform of banning gay marriage and over half the country agreed with him. And I think about the fact that at the time, that was enough for me to be like, okay, there's no place. America doesn't do this, right? You got to hide this. And I think about the messages that seventh graders are getting now or high schoolers are getting now that, wow, there's an overwhelming consensus. This state doesn't want me here. This state doesn't want me to exist. And the fact that we've gone so off the rails that we're legislating that, and by the time we correct it, however that happens, the damage is already done to those kids who are forever going to hold this sense of, my state, my country doesn't want me to exist. And that's terrifying, especially when you consider how high the rates of LGBT suicide are for young people. And it, it's devastating to me to be in a place now where I have serious conversations about people of, are we going to get out before it's too late? And for me, this has become my home and this is where I am. But as I think about planning a family with my partner and that, 
that's a real consideration. And I don't want to give in to the feeling of they want us to feel we don't belong, but that's the effect it's having. And it's just so wrong for the power of the state to be used that way. Speaking of the power of the state, the power of the state of Texas anointed and chose and celebrated Tara, teacher of the year. And for those of you that know that process, it is, it's a very robust process. And Texas is a mighty big state. So what makes me sad is on your greatest day, Tara, it was also your most difficult day. And it was your most difficult day because of bullies who decided to steal your joy. And so can you talk about that? Erin alluded to that, that you might understand what that's like to have that beautiful identity and representation and be celebrated for who you are and how you taught, but to sadly have that tarnished by ignorance. Yeah, it's funny. 2018 seems so far away, but yet yesterday, whenever somebody says, oh, you were the 2018 Texas Teacher of the Year. And the sad part is that I cringe every time I hear that phrase. And when people celebrate it, I to kind of go what Dean said, it's like fear. Fear is, I fear like, is somebody going to recognize me as teacher of the year? Is somebody going to say something about it? Because it just opens up a can of worms that I just want to keep closed. But on the day back when I was announced as the teacher of the year for the state of Texas, when that happens, like the world seems to go crazy in your state, in every news channel, in every small town, big city, your face is plastered on everything, every, everywhere which means you're all over the internet, which means you have to read every comment that comes in. And what was supposed to be really exciting, I spent the night on the bathroom floor crying because I had to contact my school district and ask them to please get all the news sources that they could locally to stop the comments because the students were getting on and defending me and all the things that people were saying about she only got it because she's gay and this is a political thing. And what do you mean she? You mean he or it or this person's trans? It's just the number of things that were being said. And then the kids were getting online and saying, that's my teacher. Kids don't know any better. All I could think about in that moment was, oh my God, someone's going to pull this up that this kid is using the F word on the internet. And 10 years from now, this kid who's already got the world stacked against them when it comes to finding a job or a college scholarship, that's going to be held against them. The language that they chose to use when they were upset and defending someone that they cared about Versus looking at the character of this, hey, this kid is defending a teacher. That says a lot. So we had to kind of shut the comments off. And then it just became, every time I turned around, if you would look, if you go, you start to look at your name because you can't help but look at the comments, right? They tell you not to read them, but you just, you're hit with it so quickly. You start to say, what else are they saying? And I would just find random people who would make comments on Facebook posts. And then the things that people were saying were just terrible. They were terrible. It, it, it was, there, was a, there were people that celebrated. Don't get me wrong. There was a, gr- a great group of people. There was a lot of love and a lot of celebration. But I couldn't understand how a teacher, and I had only been teaching for three years when I got nominated. So that's what people don't re- really realize is that I was a baby teacher still. I didn't have both feet in yet to learning how to be a really good teacher, in my opinion. And I felt like that moment shifted everything for me because after that, once that happened, that's that closet that I was just talking about a little while ago, Dean. That's the closet that I decided to go back into for a while because it was like, the world knows who I am. I can't hide it by the way that I look. It's pretty obvious that I'm a gay woman and I'm not going to hide that. But I had to think about protecting the students. And then the irony that comes off of that is here we are, fast forward five years later, 2023, and I leave the classroom because I'm so sick and tired of people who look like me being called a groomer. Because like Jasmine said, we're just making sure that those same people that bullied us as kids cannot continue to bully our current students the way we were bullied as students and kids. And it just kills me. But the toll, the mental health toll that between 2018 and 2023 has taken on me, it took me out of the classroom because I just needed to have a moment to recharge and refuel. And like you said, Dean, I never, here's the funny part. In the 10 years that I was a teacher, I never had a rainbow flag in my classroom. I didn't do the things that I probably maybe could have done for students to really truly be a representation. Because for me, I wanted my students to see, and some people will disagree with me on this, but I wanted my students to see me and know that I saw them because most of my students were coming from immigrant families. So they were outsiders just like me. And the thing that I wanted that classroom to be was a place where everybody that walked in their room knew they were safe. I needed to be the teacher that I needed. And so I didn't want to hide. I didn't want to push 
because I wanted to just be the person that said, this is your room and your voice. But it's so funny to me that no matter how on the line I chose to be, if you will, the, the world still today decides who we are, right? They decide who we are in the classroom. They decide everybody who seems to have an opinion on what's right or wrong in their own belief system. They seem to think that belief system should be on everybody. Like I said, I'm also a Christian, so I understand that side of things. But what I don't understand is how you can destroy a person without ever even being in the room with that person. And that's how I feel the last five years have been here. Like when people say you were teacher of the year, I was like, yeah, I was. And what should have maybe been something that advanced my career, I feel like it took it away from me. Because now the thought of going back into the classroom, I don't know if I ever will. I don't know because I just can't take another moment of the death threats or wondering if when I go to a restaurant with my fiance, if someone's going to jump us in the parking lot because I'm the groomer in the classroom. Like it, talk about back to going back to identity and representation. Sometimes I don't even know right now who I am because I had so much of my identity wrapped in the fact that I was a teacher and, and a filmmaker and a film teacher that now I'm in an admin job in a cubicle wondering, what did I just do? Did I go back into that closet again? I don't know. It's kind of a long-winded answer, but I don't know how else to say it, except for I don't understand how we got here. We're like Aaron said, we're so off track and so derailed. And I, I'm trying to piece back the strength that I think that I had when I met Aaron, both Aaron's, both Pruel and Moslin back in 2014. Where's that girl? Because I don't know where she's at right now. No, and I love your honesty. I love that you are so forthright. And I love that every superintendent in the world would hire you and snatch you and say, come to my community. And so you can be a teacher in any space, even in a cubicle, but I think it's in a room. I think it's with kids and it may not be high school. It may be college at some level. It may be behind a camera, but that leads me to my next question. And that is to you, Jasmine, you're in the belt of the Bible belts and you are in a very progressive community in Omaha. But if you venture out, you mentioned earlier a phrase, love the sinner, hate the sin. And so when people weaponized religion, when people tried to commandeer God to a side, I know that you resisted because you were so out of a closet with that fuchsia hair and everything that you represent as someone who, like Dean, is out and proud. Talk about what that was like before you were breaking down the closet door, before you were dyeing your hair fuchsia, what was it like when you would hear a comment where God and religion had been weaponized? How did that make you feel? Initially, it honestly just made me really uncomfortable because even then when I didn't know who I was or what I was, I still didn't understand why people felt that way. I was religious for a brief amount of time. And then every week there was something about marriages between a man and a woman and things like that. And progressively, it was to the point where I was crawling out of my skin every time I heard it. And it was to the point where I had to separate myself from a lot of my community and a lot of people because I couldn't surround myself with that anymore because then I didn't want to feel that way. And I didn't want to feel that I was almost intruding on that space and being an outsider in that sense. And my cousin, the only other out person in our community, he dealt a lot with a lot of religious, not quite persecution, but he faced a lot of that discrimination quite more than I did. And it really took a toll on him. And that was something that also drove me outwards was seeing that happen and seeing so much devastation and so much hurt that was being caused. So as soon as I was able to graduate high school, I immediately never looked back. I was like, I'm never going to really make a home here again because it doesn't feel like a home. It isn't something that is going to ever be accepting for me and be a place where I can feel comfortable bringing my girlfriend or things like that. Even when I go down to visit and I bring her, I still feel just a little bit of someone's watching me. Like I am almost there's cameras everywhere and someone's just waiting for me to hold her hand or do something that they can attack later. Jasmine, did you not grow up in Omaha? Did you grow up in the suburbs of Nebraska? I grew up in pretty much the middle of Nebraska. It's a very small town, about 587 people. My graduating class was six whole people. 
And of those six whole people in a town of 587, did you know anyone in that tiny town who shared with you their sexual identity? It was my cousin. And then my friend, she came to me and was like, oh, I'm not 100% sure, but I think I am bisexual. And she said that. And then about a week later, she was like, okay, I'm going to come out. Like, I'm going to see like how it feels. And within a week, someone was throwing glass beer bottles at her while she was walking down the street. Wow. Jean, you live in a larger town. You teach in a smaller community. And I love that you said that you were unabashedly out and proud. What was it like after you you said those words, my fiance, in a community that is more rural, did you have this moment where you're like, oh, I wish I would have done it earlier, or, or someone came up to me specifically in this smaller community, and you get to be that for your kids, what Jasmine didn't have in her rural community? I absolutely had the feeling of, I wish I had done it sooner. But like I said before, it, the way that it came out, it was just so natural. And that was the moment for it. Yeah, our school is a very rural area and there are all walks of life there. But I think the word conservative is the most appropriate for our community and for the kids that do go to school there. But I'm very proud of the faculty in our district and very proud of the admin in our district because maybe I don't see everything the students see, but there doesn't appear to be a lot of there doesn't appear to be a lot of fear in our district. <clears throat> we don't have a ton of openly out gay students, but I just, I think that statistically we wouldn't, we graduate around 60 kids a year. I don't see a ton of the bullying. I don't, I'm sure it does happen, but I think that for our conservative rural school, it is pretty accepting. When I was in school myself, there was only one other out person before I came out and I don't know if it was because of me and my personality and being a chameleon and being in lots of different friend groups, but I was always accepted by the other students that I went to school with. I also wasn't the type of person that would have accepted anything else. If somebody came to me with hate, I wouldn't return the hate. I would find a way to make them realize that hate was unfounded or that I am not this big, scary monster that maybe society has led them to believe I would be because I was that that tragical, forbidden G word of gay. So to have that moment to be that for my students, it was a moment of immense pride. And yes, I do wish that I had done it sooner, but I pride myself in being able to provide my kids with a, an area in a space that they can just be themselves and to know that it doesn't matter how you identify. I'm not going to allow anybody to make you feel less than. I was fortunate enough that not a lot of people in my life made me feel less than, but I know how many people in the world do go through that. And I will do what part I can to make sure that in my areas, in my world, if you would, my classroom, that students can just be themselves. Erin, in Florida now, your, your colleagues probably have to tuck away that pride flag that they proudly got out when they joined your GSA club and they aren't able to recommend literature to their students who proudly came to those meetings. So how does that feel as an educator that teachers who wanted to be allies and advocates are no longer able to do that, whether they are gay, straight or otherwise? It's a couple of things. For one, it's a feeling of disbelief. And I think a lot of people are starting to realize this. It's a reminder that when you go after one group, it starts to affect everyone. Because so many teachers that I know in Florida who have had to empty their bookshelves to be inspected by the state, people who in a normal world would not particularly be political, are saying, what is going on? Right. The Amanda Gorman, the inaugural poet of the United States in the year 2020, the 2021 inauguration, she was the poet laureate and gave a poem about the future of America and the possibility of America. And it couldn't be more positive or age appropriate for if kids were four years old. That would be a great message for them to receive if they could process it, because it's about what this country can be. And that was banned in Miami-Dade, where I am because of a single parent who wrote out a really half thought out 
complaint, including saying the author was Oprah. So she didn't know who it was, just different, saw a black woman and assumed it was Oprah. And based on that unbelievably shoddy complaint, it was pulled for all kids. And that has a lot of people now saying this has gone too far. And it really is this scary thing. I remember my grandma moved to California in the 70s. And she recalls the time where Anita Bryant, who also really went after Miami-Dade, had her campaign called Save the Children. So again, we're back to that, right? Grooming, pedophilia, everything old is new again. And I remember asking my grandma, you know, how she felt. And she said, she said there was something about her effort to get gay teachers fired. And, it, and the word she used was, she goes, it just felt a little Nazi-ish. We weren't okay with that. She said, I knew almost no one who was okay with gay people, but also it just seemed to bridge too far to go state inspections to fire people. And it's eerie because I remember my grandma telling me that story and I feel like we're living in that now. Uh, people going, you know, this, the state and literally schools needing to empty their bookshelves and put the books into boxes for state inspectors to come and decide whether or not that can be in a library or a classroom library and facing felony charges if they don't and imprisonment if they don't. It's again, disbelief is part of it. And also as a, as a past history teacher, feeling like we're living through one of those moments where things are either going to, there's going to be a backlash to this and we reclaim and look at this as an Anita Bryant moment. In Florida, there was a thing called the Johns Committee, I think in the 50s, that basically wanted to fire gay people from state government and expunge gay people from public life. And maybe we bounce back from this and this is a Johns Committee moment or McCarthy hearing kind of moment, or maybe really goes to the unthinkable. And how far does that go? Questions that the overwhelming majority of us don't want to find the answer to because I think highly motivated groups that even if they're not the majority, if they figure out how to do things, it's often been those groups that make really terrible things happen. And so I guess it's this disconnect of how are we living through one of those moments where we've seen people seize power and use it to hurt people and everyone's starting to see the effects of that, not everyone, but a lot of people and saying, this is really happening. How far does this go? Mm. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to put all of you in that creative mode. And Jasmine, you are a theater teacher. So I want you to imagine that you are on a theater stage. You have a microphone and you're going to, you're going to deliver a monologue. And in that audience are people that have to receive that monologue. And as Tara just did about inviting in, I want you to give a monologue that is so beautiful and inviting and loving about representation and identity. I would probably start it out with kind of a similar idea to Tara, where you're trying to bridge those similarities, where you are showing a person of any identity really working through their regular day, but then throughout it, maybe there are those thoughts that linger in the back of their head of, I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be here. What if they find out those sorts of things? And then we can see how those thoughts can either break us down or we can use them to help build us up in a sense. I know a lot of examples where people have taken those same words and they say, you know what, I'm going to prove you exactly wrong. Here is who I am. Here's who I'm meant to be. And you're who you're meant to be. Why can't it be for everyone? And so I would do something similar to that. The idea that I had in mind is not necessarily a monologue, but maybe just a door with two people on either side. So almost simulating that closet door and then having that similar conversation. Maybe they mirror each other throughout their day, except the other person, they have those thoughts, those circumstances. But then by the end, that door is opened and the other person is invited in. When you were with us last summer, Jasmine, you did a public service announcement beside other Freedom Rider teachers and Freedom Riders, and you won the Academy Award. And you did just that. You, you spoke it into existence. First came those negativity of thoughts and then that realization. So I think we're on to something. You may become a playwright at some point, and then Tara is going to film it at some point. With every monologue and with every great film, there's got to be music. There's got to be a composer and somebody that brings together the music. Dean, 
using the creativity that you have been blessed with, when you think of celebratory music that uplifts who you are and what you are about, whether it's being your authentic self, celebrating the love with your partner, your fiance. What it, when you think about that music, what is the kind of music that you want people to know and understand? And if they hear it on a radio someday, or if they hear it at a dance, they'll be thinking just like you. The music, man, the music. I like to dive into so many different genres of music. So I'm trying to picture in my head this monologue happening and this film trailer that that just came out and the music that even when I was younger and just a fledgling, a fledgling little musician learning how to play the trumpet in my the exact same classroom that I currently teach in, by the way, it was film score music that always made me feel like my soul was clicking into place. When a brass section crescendos to the high point of the melody and you can physically hear the sunlight shining on the main character of that story. I think those are the most powerful moments that music can bring somebody in, in that sense of seeing what you want them to see and feeling what you want them to feel. But to bring it around to, like you said, something that you might hear on the radio or something that somebody might hear connect with them. I think that musically we need more representation with people singing about life as if being gay is normal. And there is an artist out there that, although not all of his music is very family and child friendly, Todrick Hall is a very openly gay musician and recording artist and a true artist when it comes to crafting a, uh, an album. And he's got visual albums and things. And he created this one, I can't remember the name of it exactly, and I'm sure anybody listening will be shaking their fist at me, but he created a music video where there was an alternate reality as if being gay was the norm and being straight was the taboo item. And I think that if we can find that middle ground with music that is about and by people of the LGBTQIA plus community, and make it something that doesn't turn ahead because it's different, that doesn't make somebody's ears perk up because it's of a topic that we just don't talk about. Whatever that music is, that is the music that I would want to use because it would be in a reality that I would want to be a part. I love that. I love that Todd Hall is often the choreographer on RuPaul's Drag Race. And in, in many states right now, drag is also under attack, Florida and Tennessee. So I'm going to take that idea of banning and I'm going to go to you, Erin. You represent a group now about choice, men for choice. And I know initially men for choice was about reproductive rights, but I want you to extend that word choice to choosing to be, choosing to love choosing to be authentic. And I want you to extend your mantra right now of men for choice to allowing everyone that's listening, whether they're male or female, young or old, what is the choice that you'd like to offer them in this perfect movie, with this perfect monologue, with this perfect music? What is the choice that you could add to it that is there for the taking for everyone? A great question. I want to share something that I've been thinking of based on something Tara said earlier, where she talked about being gay and being a Christian. And it's surfaced for me just how difficult it is for me to go to church. And it's interesting because I'm 34 now. And I think about Jeremiah 29, 11, and the idea that God has a plan and we're meant to flourish and prosper. And how difficult it is to this day for me to sit in a church without feeling like a fraud, even though it should be my relationship with God. And when you ask that question of choice, it would be a version of America much more in line with Jeremiah 29, 11, that everyone has a purpose and it is on us to reach that. And it's on us to make ourselves what we should be uninhibited by other people, uplifted by other people, and that there aren't barriers put on us or between us from other human beings, from the state, from family, but that we all have the ability to make choices in line with who we're meant to be 
And the only limit to that is, is ourselves and others are lifting us up, that choices we make put us more in line with what we ultimately are capable of becoming and that others don't get in the way of our ability to chart our own destinies and reach our own purpose. Mm, I love it. I have two last questions I want to ask you, and I want these last questions to be for all of you. I want you to think of in, you're all so creative and artistic and authentic. I want you to recommend either a book, a movie, a television show, or a song to someone who's listening that you have found in the darkest of spaces that spoke to you, that if someone is listening and they want to have that representation that they haven't found in a small little town or at a hymnal in a church that it hasn't been sung, if there's something that you found that spoke to you and it was an aha moment, what could you recommend to think of that kid, Jasmine, in a town of 586 who discovers that book, that song, that movie that makes him feel seen? Immediately, I have two suggestions. So one of them is a song and then one of them is a musical. So the song is Holy Water by Noah Davis, and it is essentially his relationship with the church and being a gay man and how he feels and how his journey has gone through feeling neglected and feeling not accepted to going through that and being like, I don't need your holy water. I am who I am. I can do what I please, essentially. And then the musical that I would think of immediately is Kinky Boots. It is written by Cindy Lauper. And a whole big portion of that show is acceptance and being who you want to be. In fact, the last song is called Just Be. And it's all about acceptance. It's all about love. And so that show, when I first saw it, when I was a sophomore in college, it changed my trajectory of how I felt about myself and just my community in general, because I finally saw something that was a very positive representation of who we are. And so I would recommend either of those to anyone. You're blowing Dean's mind. Every time you say something, Jasmine, or you earlier, Tara, he's snapping, his mind is blowing, he's smiling. So I wish all of you could feel exactly what I'm seeing. So Dean, blow somebody's mind. I want the others to snap and lean forward just like you are. So first, I just want to thank Jasmine for bringing up Noah Davis because he is creating that music that I talked about. He's making music as if, like I said, being gay is the absolute most normal thing in the world because it should be. And I think that's important that people know about him. I hope that I can will into existence that there will be more kids out there that have the freedom that I had as a kid to seek out media and representation of myself in the media, because I know that there are a lot of parents that are very restrictive, and I know that there is a lot of negativity on the internet now, whereas at that time it was a little bit tamer. But the movie that I always recommend to people when I want them to see gay love the same way that they would see any love or to feel how true love, whether it be between a man or and a woman, two men, two women, however it is for you and your reality can be so beautiful that it can pull you through the darkest moments of your life. There is a movie called Latter Days, and it is a love story between a very openly gay man and a Mormon man who is struggling with his identity and how that fits into his religion and his family and his world. And there are some really great moments in that movie. And there are some really dark and sad moments in that movie. And I think that those types of things need to be seen and to, can help somebody realize that inner turmoil that you always feel when you're a member of this community at some point in your life is something we can all share. And it's an exalted experience that may not be a positive one, but it is one that binds us together. And it is one that shows us how important the light is. Because when you're trapped in that dark, you always have to know that light does exist. And if you let it in, if you let it in, then that dark is not so scary. I love that I'm a teacher, but right now I am the student and I'm taking notes for my homework assignment is to go listen and watch. Give us a homework assignment, Erin. What do you want us to watch, hear, or see? 
you know, when you think about music, like you think about my gay credentials are unparalleled when it comes to music. Any girly pop song from the early 2000s, and it's probably on hundreds of plays in my Spotify. It's like literally a musical taste is like a 14 year old girl from the year 2003 just frozen in time. <laughs> If I had to pick a song, though, I'm going to go with, not that this particularly breaks the super gay genre, but That's the Way It Is by Celine Dion. And and the reason for it is I really love Celine Dion. <laughs> and A New Day Has Come in particular. But later on, I discovered That's the Way It Is. And it's all about self-acceptance and rebirth and so on. And it, it was always a song that meant something to me. I remember listening to it even like back in high school and drawing strength from it. And then... We've talked a lot about kind of the inner turmoil, or as Tara said, once you've come out, you're always coming out or you're choosing to go back in. And for me, part of my learning process was that about a year ago, I decided to get sober from alcohol. And in the first couple of days, I was talking with a friend of mine who's a gay man, and he had talked a lot about, just here's what to expect in the first couple of days. And he said, by the way, there's this song you should listen to, That's the Way It Is by Celine Dion. And I was like, that was already one of my comfort songs of me 20 years ago. <laughs> And so that idea of just live fully, accept what's happening, rebirth, possibility, you can always get better, is also wrapped into it for me, in addition to that broader message. I'd have to say that's the way it is by Celine Dion, which keeps coming in handy time and time again throughout my life. I love that. I love we're going to add that to our playlist. Tara, you are so creative. You are so talented. So what do we need to watch or what do we need to listen to? Okay, so there is a 2020 Pixar short called Out, if you haven't seen it. And it's a short film, and it's about a gay man who comes out, and as an adult, he comes out to his mom and his parents. And it's just a super cute short film, but it's really t- very touching. So get the Kleenex ready. When it comes to music, it's so funny because when I'm really just needing to come, like when Aaron mentioned the pop stars, I don't want to have to say this, but when I'm having those moments where I really just need to feel empowered, I go to the greatest showman. And I go to This Is Me because there is me that song hits just about every type of outsider, whether you're straight or gay or black or white or immigrant or non-immigrant, no matter who you are and whatever group you come from, there's an outsider in all of us, right? So when I hear that song, I just think about all of the misfits in the circus that just come together and all of us misfits in the world that I'm hoping that's us one day that we just, all these different groups of people come together. And so for me, This Is Me is that song that I'll take the top off in my Jeep and I'll just blare it and I'm singing the top of my lungs and... That's the one. But for me, my fiance is a, a dance instructor, so she's always finding songs and there's always so much meaning behind music. But for me, it's finding that song that really makes you feel like you're you, no matter what that is. Because if you just find like the soundtrack of your life and this is me, this is who I am, in or out, out or in, this is what you're going to get. So that's it for me, guys. It's This Is Me. Ironically, that is our anthem every time before Pretty Meyer Teachers arrive. That's a song that we play to hype us up and we're all crying and having that exaltation. So I love that you're blaring it in a Jeep, driving through the streets of Austin. We started with the word love, and I want to end with the word pride. I want to end with the word pride with a twist. I want it to be self-pride. I want you to think about being proud. So when I thought about gathering four fabulous folks. I'm so proud of the four of you, even more so after this interview, watching you smile and tear up and give such incredible respect to one another. It's like you're speaking to us, but you're speaking to the world. But in in some of the words that we shared earlier, some of those things were really hard. Once again, estrangement or disavowed or sin and disgust. And what the four of you represent to me is all that is right, all that is good, all that is just, all that is noble, all that is positive. So in in honor of RuPaul, since I love RuPaul's Drag Race, he ends his show with a photograph of these beautiful kids before they actualized who they were going to be. And when they were those beautiful little kids, They didn't know what was going to come. They didn't know they would be standing on a stage giving a monologue like Jasmine as a theater teacher. They didn't realize they'd be going to Washington, D.C. and winning the Texas Teacher of the Year. They didn't know, Aaron, that they would be sitting beside the vice president and the first gentleman of the United States. 
They didn't know, Dean, that you would stand in front of your students and declare love is love. So what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to pick a time in your life that you could speak so proudly to that child of who you are now, taking in your own identity, taking in your own representation, and hopefully taking in your own self-love because we're going to speak it into existence. We're going we're to share this podcast with those that need to hear it. And so let's speak into existence what pride is. And we're going to start with you, Aaron. What is pride? Speak it to that younger self. I would go back to that exact day in seventh grade in Miss Tenney's class, the first time I remember consciously feeling attracted to another boy. And I would say, you're wrong about everything you think. And there's an entire world out there you're going to get to discover. And there's no value in trying to shut down who you are. That's going to come through anyways. There's no value in mistrusting how you feel. That's going to create other problems for you down the road that you need to be whole. And if you try to beat that, the only one who ends up losing is you. And that you're going to, you're going to see things go up and down and there's going to be progress for LGBT people. And then there's going to be a blowback, just like the stories you heard from your grandparents about advances in American society, but also some of the difficulties and that there isn't a clear line ahead. But by the time you're turning 30, which is something you will do, live past 30, you're going to be on your way to forming a partnership with someone and getting the chance to do work throughout the state of Florida and uh, the country to try to help people work towards a better America and make sure that no kid looks out at the United States and thinks it's not built for them. Exquisite. Jasmine, I want you to go back to that small little town in the middle of Nebraska, and I want you to speak proudly to yourself. I would pick specifically sixth grade me because that was when I was starting to figure out that I was different. I would say to them that even though it's really scary right now and you feel like it's going to be the end of the world, once you figure that out, it definitely won't be. Your parents will still completely love and accept you. Your fears will be totally squashed and you will find the love of your life eventually. You will find someone who loves you exactly for who you are. You will find that community of people who are like-minded and where you don't have to be in fear or feel like you are an outsider in your own world. And I would say that it truly does get better, even if it feels horrible right now. And Jasmine, out of respect, I want to acknowledge, what are your pronouns? I use she, her, and they, them. Okay, perfect. Dean, cutely, you're adorable now, but I want to go back to little Dean who attended Westmoreland. What would you say to little Dean? I would go back to that boy that looked himself in the mirror and I would let him know that the thing that he was most scared about himself is the thing that would bring him the most joy in the world. And I would also try my hardest to convince him that there are so many things about himself that he should love because everybody in the world that meets him sees something that they can love. And even when he doesn't feel it himself, there's enough people feeling it and willing it to existence to prove to him that logical reasoning thinker that he is, that it really is real and it really is valid. And by loving yourself, you start to see the world for what it really is and through a lens that you can find the beauty that you need to be happy. I would also tell him to not straighten his hair anymore because one day he'll grow to miss that hair. <laughs> but the love is the glue that holds us all together. Love yourself, love the people around you, love the things about yourself that make you different. And don't ever underestimate how powerful your voice can be because there's a lot of people out there that keep their voice bottled up so deeply inside themselves that hearing somebody talk from their heart can inspire them to do the same. And if you can teach but one person out there to love themselves for who they truly are, then you've made a difference in the world. Tara, my 
fabulous teacher. I, I want to do a little come to Jesus moment for you because Jesus was a teacher. Dr. Martin Luther King was a teacher. And sometimes the classroom changes. You can teach walking through a meadow, standing outside at the steps of the Lincoln Memorial or a classroom or a cubicle. You will always be a teacher. I don't want you to lose that side of yourself. But I want you to go back to an age, and I want you to speak to young Tara as a celebrated teacher. No one can take that away as someone who has found the love of your life, someone that is so beloved. And in the world that we choose to live in, that door is always wide open. And so is our heart. So talk to that little Tara about the Tara of the now. There's a lot of little young Tara's I need to go back and have some conversations with <laughs> But if I could choose one, I would go back to 1988 and I would choose 10-year-old Tara and I would tell her that it's okay to love that little girl, that best friend, that it's okay to love her and to have the feelings that you have and it's okay that she doesn't reciprocate. It doesn't make either of you wrong in that moment. But the thing that I would change is I wouldn't change the trajectory of those those two girls' lives. I think that what was supposed to happen ha would happen, but to keep the faith to keep the faith that even if that person isn't the one that loves you, that down the road, there is going to be somebody who's going to love you in a way that you never expected, unconditionally the way that you love others. And if there is one thing that you should change, it's not to change who you are, but it's to, to change the fact that you shouldn't stop giving in to what other people think or feel, but to keep the faith and to remind yourself always that you are your mother's daughter and you got your mother's heart, and your mother loves everyone, and she's the one that taught you to love, no matter the color of a person's skin, no matter what their religious beliefs are, whether they're the same beliefs as yours or not, whether someone is different, whether they have the same abilities or disabilities that you have, that you just love. And, and I wish that 10-year-old girl would go home like she told, like she went home every other day and told her mom about a million stories. I wish she would tell her mom, at 10 years old, that she loved her best friend and that she would have had the faith to know that her mom would have said, tell me more. But instead, she lived her life in fear. And I would tell the little girl, don't fear. Don't fear telling the people that you love who, about who you are. Because if they truly love you the way that you love them, they will accept you for who you are. They will love you for who you are. And if they don't, then it is okay. It is their loss and not yours. Because again, somewhere down the road, you're going to feel that love. But if you have the faith that person is going to love you and that love is really strong and it's true, then you know that telling your mom is going to be the best thing that you ever did because your mom is ultimately really your best friend. And that's what I would tell a 10-year-old me, that I wouldn't have waited until I was 32 to tell the most important woman in my life, my mom, when I was 10 years old. And still today that this is who I am. This is me. Because I, I wish that girl had the faith that I have now. Because, And I would say to thank your mom too. Thank mom for being that person who knew who you were, but never pushed you to say it, but always accepted and waited for the moment for you to feel comfortable enough to do it. That's what I would say to 10-year-old me is to just know that it's going to be okay. And that down the road, the last thing I would tell her is you're about to get a really fine, beautiful woman in your 30s, and it's going to make all of these years of pain so worth it. Yes, he is gorgeous. I've, yes, been, is. I've been so honored and so humbled to, to be in your lives and to celebrate all of you. And my hope is that our audience that is listening could have that full circle moment that we just had. We started with love and we ended with love and sprinkled throughout. There was hope sprinkled throughout. There was light sprinkled throughout. There was all of those positive things that each and every one of you positively and proactively bring to our world. So my hope is that those that are listening, find someone to share and share light, share love and share pride. If you have a flag that you want to wave and celebrate, do go out in the world and be bold, be authentic, and believe that love is love is love. Thank you.